Welcome back. Another episode of Monday Madness. Today is Tuesday, September the 8th. Recording a day later than usual because yesterday, of course, was Labor Day. And I hope yours was exciting because mine, oh boy, it was thrilling. Got to go out camping in Buena Vista and then uh, had a missed call from the manager at the restaurant I served at. Turns out they'd scheduled me over the weekend while I had no reception to work Labor Day in the morning. So I called in and said, hey, I'm late for the shift. My bad. What can I do? And he said, "Mm, can you get in soon? I said, no, I can't be there for probably another three hours if we pack up and leave now. It's probably going to be traffic too. He goes, all right. Uh, I think we need to move forward without you being employed here. (laughs) So it was a very short phone call. Lost that job. But hey, if anything, frees up some of my time, which is more valuable than the money I was making there. And makes me appreciate the job I have here at Rare Petro. So Fortunately, was not fired from this job. I get to keep delivering you that content and news that you crave so dearly. So let's get right into it. First, some basic statistics. WTI price, 39.77. Took a bit of a tumble from the low 40s that it was at, and it seems to be a reflection of the market as well. Commodities and stocks are volatile and unfortunately trending downwards, even those tech ones that we were all counting on. But the rig count, we're up two rigs. Last week there was no change, and this week there are an additional two rigs. Still down 642 rigs on the year, but I am excited. I think this is the first increase we've seen in, boy, several months at this point. And domestic inventories. In the United States, I believe, according to the EIA, there was a 9 million barrel drawdown, as the EIA estimated. And that is good, good news. Working through a lot of that oil that's stored up. But even so, prices are not reflecting that big drawdown. So, if domestic inventory is in such a massive draw and rig count is up, why are prices down low? Well, the near-term demand outlooks predict a rather grim future. Although some of these previously mentioned benchmarks are good, there simply remains an oversupply of oil and a limited demand thanks to COVID. Futures in London were trading low. Only 4 out of 10 Asian refineries said they would buy more Saudi oil, and the Saudis themselves severely cut pricing to incentivize people to buy more oil because consumption remains at pre-corona levels. I'm sorry if this comes off as doom and gloomy. I really just wanted to highlight that we aren't totally in the clear as an industry. Things are getting better for a bit, but we can't just get comfortable yet. But at least we have a president that is working oh so hard to continue to maintain healthy relationships with other world leaders, putting us into a position to happily trade goods and services. <laughs> Actually, Trump is planning to curb the economic relationship with China by punishing American companies that create jobs overseas and preventing those that do do business in China from winning federal contracts. It sounds as if most of these plans would be his agenda for his second term if he were to be reelected. Let's hope that our next war is not an economic one, because at this point, I don't think that's a war we could wage. But to sum things up, Asia's demand is stalling, fuel demand for vehicles is soon to decrease in the U.S., and more production from OPEC will keep these futures prices from going too much higher than they are right now. Even so, spot prices are much cheaper than the future pricing, which is an indication that concerns of oversupply will be returning soon. This next story is kind of a two-for-one. I like to throw in a little bit of disaster and controversy if I can, just to keep you on your toes and interested. The new Diamond Oil Tanker is a Panamanian ship that recently caught fire off the coast of Sri Lanka, right before last weekend. I think it was about Thursday that it happened. The cause? 
A boiler exploded in the main engine room, leading to an uncontrollable fire. Talk about some scary stuff. Whew. To further complicate things, there was 1,900 tons of diesel for the tanker, and 300,000 tons of crude oil from Kuwait destined for India. It took the combined efforts of Sri Lanka and Indian military forces to get the fire under control for a few days, really. But everything was going relatively well. There was, at the time, no risk of oil leakage, and all but one person had been rescued and taken back to short to be isolated and cared for. All seems well, right? Well, jump forward through the weekend to today. The fire aboard the ship has reignited. Although the disaster management teams were applying smothering agents to stifle the flame, the fire broke out once more. Tough situation to be in, but you think that a team of 11 disaster management professionals, 6 salvage operation experts, 9 ships, 5 tugs, 2 logistic boats, and a partridge in a pear tree would have had an easier time dealing with this disaster. Disclaimer, no partridge was officially reported. So if anything else develops with that, you know you will hear it from me. So be sure to subscribe, because you're going to hear about some good content. I mean, remember when Kevin and I talked about forest fires and outages in California a couple weeks ago? If not, go to redpetro.com, check it out. There's a great periodical or awesome podcast if you'd rather listen to it like that. It's going to really set the stage for this story. So, California, really in the forefront in terms of renewables, but now they are struggling to rely on the sun, wind, and water for all, and I mean all of their energy needs. Now PG&E is cutting power supply to parts of Northern California. These outages are allegedly being done to reduce the risk of wildfires as the high heat continues in California. Strange to think about considering it damn near snowed here in Colorado today, but they are still dealing with that heat wave. Although PG&E said the new outages will affect over 170,000 customers, census data does show that this could be closer to half a million people. I tell you what, I would be upset to live in that region because shutting down gas plants to boost solar generation without, emphasis on the without, a backup appears to be rather foolish. This, combined with import problems and transmission equipment damage from wildfires, has made a huge problem for electricity, generation, and distribution. I would wager that the import problems are the same ones that the state has been dealing with for some time now. Simply over-dependence. Neighboring states can only deliver so much power and have so much available that they aren't already using, but as soon as Cali experiences a regional 4 gigawatt shortage, well likely to still fall short on demand even after calling out to your neighbors. Just restart the gas plants, Cali. Keep an eye on the wildfires, alter generation to be accommodating to weather conditions, and use a mix of utilities as you make your energy transition. There's nothing wrong with gas, and it's a great bridge to reach that solar, wind, and really zero-carbon benchmark that you have for 2045. The people in the state are already unruly, especially with respect to coronavirus, so I wonder what change this might spark in the state if we see these energy shortages continue. But that is enough of California. I would like to take the time to talk about a company we have not discussed for a while and for good reason. Whiting Petroleum, remember that fiasco? April 1st was when Whiting announced Chapter 11 bankruptcy just days after dishing out 14.6 million in bonuses to the executives. We haven't forgotten. But after laying low for a little while, they announced that they are now emerging from Chapter 11 protection. All equity interests no longer exist, and shares of the company's new common stock began trading on the 2nd of this month at $28. 
Also, big announcement, new board of directors, which not a huge surprise considering the last set of people really just took that money and ran. The new capital structure for Whiting includes a $750 million reserve-based revolving credit facility maturing in 2024. Now, that isn't a whole lot of money, but the four-year time frame puts Whiting in a decent position to pay back that capital before the debt matures, or perhaps I'm just thinking optimistically. Of course, the new CEO also had to release a statement saying, We are excited to begin our new chapter at Whiting with a focus on capital discipline and free cash flow generation to create long-term value for our shareholders. You know, I love me a good cookie-cutter statement. Let's see if Whiting can reestablish itself in Denver, or if $750 million, a new board, and a dream is not enough for a comeback. Real quick before we go, Saudi Aramco discovered two oil and gas fields in northern parts of the country. These fields are producing crude, some condensate, and a whole lot of gas. It will likely drill more wells to evaluate how much energy can be pulled out of the ground, but really this is mostly insignificant field in comparison to the 8.5 million barrels a day that the country already produces. It will certainly be useful in achieving their gas targets in the future, and to better supply the west coast which lacks a gas grid. I love seeing continued development, gives me hope, and it's just fun to share with you as the listeners, and speaking of sharing with you, I think that is all I have to share. So, thank you for stopping by today. As I mentioned previously, please follow us on LinkedIn. You can follow the podcast on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all that good jazz. And if you like what we're doing, please leave a review. If you don't like what we're doing and (laughs) don't want to say it publicly, contact me. Podcast at rarepetro.com. Let us know whatever you want. But that's all. And until I see you next time, take care, everybody.